Hello and welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker book podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. Richie, we're still here, we're still keeping a shiny, and we've got a fantastic mm. player this week. We do, we've got Ian Hart, uh, best known for his time with Leeds United and of course Republic of Ireland. I was very excited about talking to Ian Hart um, as a young man. I always thought there was a glimmer of hope that Borough were going to sign him. I don't know why it was, I mean he'd walk into most Premier League teams in that era... But I saw him on a few nights out in my hometown of Yarm, and I just thought, surely Robbo's in his ear. But sadly, not the case. Nonetheless, nice to chat to him and to talk about Leeds legends. And, you know, if you mention Leeds in the 90s, everyone says the same thing. Tell us about David Weatherall. Who snubbed us for this show, by the way. I snubbed us. Doesn't um, come on. Uh, well, not only that, he's the one sticker I'm missing in the oh, Leeds, on the Leeds page. The so irony. Fuming, absolutely fuming with David Weatherall. Hearty turned out to be a legend, so great to get him on. Before that catch, can you update me on the search, please? Yeah. Well, I don't think we've mentioned Weatherall before, but he was presented to us as someone who somebody knew. And we formally asked him, and he just said, no, not for me. So, fair enough, David. We move on. We yeah. got Ian Hart, so we were, we were happy with that. We're not, we're not bitter at all. What I love about doing this show now is I'll get messages now. For example, this happened today. I got sent a WhatsApp by a, a friend, a former colleague of mine, and it just had three email addresses on it. Brian Dean, Dion Dublin, and Graham Lasso again. <laughs> so, <laughs> when we interviewed Lee Dixon, he told a very funny story about Graham Lasso. Go back and listen to it if you haven't heard that episode. And at the end of the interview, he said, I'm sure Graham will come on. And true to his word, he presented us with Graham Lasso's email address. I've emailed Graham and he hasn't replied, but I've been sent it again, so I feel obliged to go back to Graham. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Brian Dean's email address is there, which is the score of the first ever Premier League goal. And Dion Dublin, who's a huge name in, in football today, and property management as well. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll and be music. music. Yeah, and and music. music, yeah, multi-talented. So it would be amazing to get any of those on. We're going to pursue them hard and hopefully bring them to you, listener. How are you getting on, Richie? Uh, sadly, not quite as exciting as you. I'm trying my best. Um, so, Liam Daish is still high on my list. I've messaged him again. I- I've messaged him for the final time. Um, he did provide a question for Harty in the episode, which may or may not make the edit. But um, I've tried him again. I've also had a little pop at Mark Crossley, mm. who... Um, big yeah, Big Norms. He um, is a very funny man. He does a lot of cluffy stuff. And it'd be nice to... I just want to get him to talk about Millsborough. Sorry, sorry, listeners, but that's what I'd love to do. He's ignored us, though, so fear not. Maybe but, he knows you want him to talk about Borough. That could be it. Do you want an update on Kanchelskis? Well, I know it's not happening because it was the most vaguest connection I've ever heard. Someone once thinks they played darts against him and all of a sudden he's coming on our show. Can't say it myself, but go on, humour me. I'll ask you again. Do you want an update on Kanchelskis? Yes. Yeah, so, so do I. <laughs> Um, so do I. But Come on, then. It's not you built it up now. Mm. It's not happening. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't have one. I'm asking. Oh. Do you want one? Because I want one as well. It's, well, it's not there. So it's a shame. It's a shame. But the guy um, who came to us with this link is a lunatic. It's just the vaguest <laughs> link. He doesn't know him. <laughs> the, the, the link is he doesn't know or is no longer in contact with Kanchelska. So I've I've, I've uh, wiped that one away. I don't think that's happening. If if you passed a footballer in the street. That's grounds for messaging them in, in my book. So, come on, guys, help us out. Yeah, uh, it's it's a challenge. Speaking of challenges, catch. <laughs> yeah, the audio with Ian Hart. Yeah, so it was a, a challenge that we alluded to last week. We knew this was going to be a difficult one. Ian has never owned a computer or laptop or iPad. I think his daughter had a laptop, but he was unable to commandeer it for an entire evening. So we worked out a way of doing it whereby he dialed in, which is quite nineties. Mm-hmm. I like to think of him mm, holding a yeah. massive 
dumb jolly sized mobile phone. No, he's in area. telephone box. <laughs> so he, he dialed in, and uh, it was quite funny when he we connected with him. It sounded fine. I'm sure you, you'll agree, listening when you hear. And he said, uh, "How long do you need, lads?" And we said, "Well, to be honest, Hearty, some of these episodes have gone on for two, three hours, and <laughs> it was just met with silence. <laughs> Didn't react." <laughs> <laughs> a, a, part of him, a part of him died inside when he knew it was going to go that long. <laughs> I think he thought we were taking the mic, but genuinely, Craig Hignett went almost three hours. So we were being yeah. honest, and uh, he, he didn't seem yeah. over the moon about that. But we got nearly two hours out of him, so he must have enjoyed himself. Yeah, he was a great guest. Um, what was funny was obviously with him being on the phone, not being able to see our faces via Zoom as we're talking, it's hard to read the cues of when to, to jump in and out. And the first question I asked him was, as, as we do with all our guests, ask them how they like to be referred to. So I was like, so Ian, are you Ian or are you Harty? He's like, no, it's it's hard with an E at the end. It's H-R-T-E. So no. <laughs> no, I was asking you, do you like to be called Ian? Oh, God. So got us off to a good start. I was worried. Yeah, I was, I was worried. But he, he warmed up. He warmed up. He pulled through. He pulled through. It was, a, it was a good mm. episode. Great player. Let's hear it. This week, we've tracked down another 90s football A-lister from the 1997 Premier League sticker album. He appeared on page 47 of the book, sticker number 200, and made 547 career appearances, including 64 international caps over a career that spanned two decades. He possessed one of the finest left foots ever seen in the 90s, and as we may discuss later in the podcast, wasn't bad with his right either. It's an honour to give a big shiny welcome to Leeds United's Ian Hart. Ian, welcome to the show. Hiya, Matthew. You okay? Hi, Richie. Thanks for having us on. It's our pleasure. It really is. So as we are a sticker book podcast, we have the 1997 sticker book here in front of us. You are one of 16 stickers on the Leeds United page for 96-97. We ask all our guests if they can have a go at naming the other players on the page from that season. Gary Kelly. Uncle Gary is there. (laughs) Lee Bollier. He is there too. Harry Kuehl. He doesn't have a sticker, doesn't have which a probably sticker means yet. he hasn't broken into the first team yet. Honestly? Wow. I'm sure hate's broke in before me, but I'm guessing sticker book doesn't lie, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel Martin? Yes, that's your goalkeeper. Right, okay. Uh, Centre-halves with goal four, I'm trying to think, was Lucas Radaby there yet or not? Of course, yeah. David Wetherill, maybe? Correct. Yeah. Um, we will go in the I'm trying to think David Hopkins was he in that current team or no no? I think he he comes later right okay Ian Rush yes good shout Uh, Carlton Palmer yes who kept you out the team do you think when you first came David Robertson no No. Tony Dorigo yes what was Tony there yeah Yeah. right okay oh wow (laughs) right okay yeah, there's, there's so many players that have kind of gone through and at Leeds United, you know what I mean? So I could probably name a load of other lads, but um, they might have been further down the line from when I broke in. But I remember Ian Rush. Um, I was hoping that he was going to be definitely in it. I'm just trying to think of other lads. Uh, was who, Mark who, Ford in who, it? Yes, Mark yes. Ford's in it. Who, who else was in it? So we've got, um, you've got nine, ten including yourself. There was another Lee. Who Lee Sharp. Was, yes, yeah. he was the shiny player as well. He was the shiny sticker that year. You got striker who scored some two fantastic goals the season before. But Clyde Weinhardt? No, one goal no. of the season. Goal of the season? I'm trying to... Not, 
Well, I'm just looking. Not Rod Wallace or anything, no? No, I think he was in the squad, but he doesn't have a sticker. I do not. Unbelievable goals off the underside. What, Tony Yeboa? Yeah. Was he still there? He's there. Yeah. He's got a he, left, he left shortly after this. No way. Oh, wow. Right. Because obviously I'm racking my brain and thinking <laughs> I was a young ball boy when Tony Yeboa scored the goal against Liverpool. I, I was literally <laughs> chucking the balls back in for the team then. <laughs> so let alone thinking I was in the same team or squad as him. Uh, and then he scored that unbelievable goal against uh, Wimbledon as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He scored some unbelievable goals away at Monaco as well. So, yeah, proper, proper talented Easy, player. So there's another striker who scored the first ever Premier League goal in the history of the league. Brian Dean? Yeah. So that is th- so. there's two more players that you might you might struggle with. Should we just give these ones, Richard? Yeah, I think so. They're tricky ones. Richard Jobson and Andy Cousins. And Andrew Gray as well. We um, I've told a few people that we were interviewing you today and everyone has said the exact same thing Ian Hart wand of a left foot there, there's worse legacies to have so you must be pretty happy with that one that was my family you spoke to then yeah <laughs> <laughs> just Gary Kelly no it was good yeah it was good I, I actually I actually joined Leeds as a, as a striker so people say what well, how come you scored so many goals playing at left back I came also Leeds as a striker and played in various different positions the academy manager at the time was um Paul Hart, who went on to uh, be the manager at Notts Forest and Portsmouth. Um, so, you know, I played at centre-half, played left wing, played at central midfield, and I was getting forward and forward back. So, um, yeah, I played a, obviously played a left back, and maybe that's why I scored so many goals throughout my career, because I had the knack of, when I got in front of the goal, of trying to hit the target. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was, you know, enjoyable time at Leeds. You know, it was... Um, Plenty of young lads that were kind of coming through the academy at that time, uh, you know, from Ireland. There was loads coming over and Harry Kuhl had just come across from um, Australia. So I think Harry was actually a year younger than me. Um, but no, it was, it was an amazing time to, to be at Leeds, yeah. How did you come to join Leeds then? I actually, um, I actually went to West Ham on trial and Gary Kelly, who's my uncle, he'd been a few years previous, before he signed at Leeds, he'd been to West Ham. But at uh, the time I went over there, it was um, probably wasn't the best time to go on trial. Uh, Bobby Moore just passed away, so it was um, yeah, it was, wasn't a great time. But uh, yeah, I was just playing in, in the Dublin, Dublin leagues as a, a club called St Kevin's, which the local rivalry team was uh, home farm. Where lots of international players from Ireland had had left and gone over to England and. Mm-hmm. I just got invited across for a trial and within the first five days, they asked me to, to sign a contract at Leeds and, you know, obviously having Uncle Gary there, um, <laughs> you know, it, it made life a lot easier. Although it was difficult for a 15-year-old lad to move to a different country not knowing anybody. And, uh, mm. yeah, it was, you know, it, it was very, very difficult. But, um, yeah, it was it was brilliant. And Kells put his arm around and looked after me, you know what I mean? Because it was, um, you know, I was homesick and, and he, he made sure that was uh, I settled in. Did you call him Uncle Gary? <laughs> no, it just killed. <laughs> yeah. That's still, but, that's still uh, a bit strange, isn't it? Of course, yeah, it is. People, <laughs> people look and go, what? You know, to, to actually go on and me be playing left back and him playing right back at Leeds and, and playing for Republic of Ireland as well. So it was... Um, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. Obviously, 
to to play with him and people saying oh, it's mad you playing with your uncle but um yeah you know I, I looked after him so much you know what I mean he he guided and helped me you know when I was a young lad and I was on what 30 pound a week then 20 pound was put into saving so I was, I was given a bus pass I was in accommodation and and I was given ten pound to spend on whatever I needed to buy. Uh, probably the majority of that ten pound was spent on phone and home when I was homesick. So um, yeah, but you, kind of you appreciate everything that you get then when you're moving forward. And um, yeah, it was a good, it was a good time. You know, with lots of young Leeds lads that were coming through at that time as well. It was a uh, it was a great place to be. Can you remember your debut? For Leeds, Ian, in '95. Yeah, it was again. I'm sure it was against Reading, and I came on as a striker. Is that right? You tell us. <laughs> I think it was. I, I thought you had the stats or whatever. No. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I come on against Reading, um, and I come on. I'm not sure who I come on for because obviously it's a it's a total blow when you come on. You make your debut, and yeah, I got slid in, and um, yeah, it's just I, I felt like my legs were my legs were uh, <laughs> lead full of lead and yeah it was just it was just so nervous getting on making your debut but um yeah it's it, it was an amazing achievement for me and my family um yeah. to come on but um yeah I'll always be grateful for for hard workings and he was the one that gave me the chance to to kind of make me debut and then there was a time that you know the following season I uh I ended up slotting at left back there was a time where I'd played majority of well, most of the games for Republic of Ireland. There was a time where I played more games for Ireland than I had for uh, Leeds United. And, you know, grateful for Mick McCarthy for uh, giving me the chance to, to wear the green short as well. Mm-hmm. So you've uh, you've joined Leeds, or certainly from a professional point of view, in, in 95. So your first game is in the 95-96 season. And in that dressing room, there's a lot of experienced players and, and big characters. So I've got a list of, of names I'd like to reel off to you. and I'd love just to get your take on a few of them. I'll start with David O'Leary because I think he was still around as a player back then and obviously with him being a, an Irishman did you forge any kind of relationship with him? Uh, well not until he was uh, he was the manager um, obviously got on very well with David still speak to him on the, the odd occasion now but uh, I can't remember him being around as a player I can remember players like uh, John Beasley uh, John Pemberton you know them kind of players that was um David Fairclough was there. I'm just thinking, like, you know, around that time where I was just about to break in, like Richard Jobson was there. Um, was Gary Speed around? was there as well. Yeah. Speed was there. Gary McAllis was there. Gordon Strachan was there. Uh, Carlton Palmer. Ian Rush. So Ian Rush was my hero when I was growing up. So you can imagine young lads of today going over to a club and playing with someone like Ronaldo or, or Messi. That's Ian Rush was... Was to me, he was he was the Messi of Ronaldo. I absolutely loved him when he was at Liverpool. Then he went to Juventus. So to be sat in the dressing room with your hero, um, it was uh, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. And um, you know, then to to get in the team and play alongside him it was uh, it was very very special. It didn't work out too well for him though, did it? Three goals in in thirty six games was obviously just a bit too late in his career. Yeah, it was probably probably towards the end of his career, but. Um, yeah, you know, people say you should never meet your your idols, and to be honest, it was a joy to meet someone like him. You know what I mean? He he sat down, especially for all his young lads. You know what I mean? Kind of starting our trade, learning the game. He was um he was brilliant to just sit down and and pick his brains. And some of the stories that he came out with was um yeah he, he was an amazing guy. 
Mm-hmm. We've mentioned speed, McAllister, Palmer, and Strachan there. I mean, that is some midfield. Yeah, it was Gary Mack was was top top notch. Speedo, he was an um, unbelievable player. Gordon, you know, they they speak for themselves. Them three alone, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, Gordon was always a little bit more serious. <laughs> Where Speedo and Gary would uh, would have a bit of crack, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the the careers that they they went on to to have uh, for Leeds United and, and other clubs, it was uh, nothing but remarkable. Mm-hmm. And and Carlton Palmer, legend has it, is a bit of a character. Have you got any any stories about Carlton that you can share with us? Yeah, I've, obviously, I, I remember Carlton saying, I think it was we're, we're all sat in, I think. Back then, the players used to actually go to the. They used to go to the pubs after training. So us being young lads, we we'd go there, but we wouldn't drink. We'd just go there, listening for the crack and the stories. And um, and Carlton, I would say to I think it was um, I think he was speaking to Rushy, and Rushy says, "Carlton, I found you." John Pemberton was. He says, "Carlton, I, I found your uh, I found your house tonight." He says, "Yeah." He says, "It took ages the missus to get the phone." He says, "Oh yeah, well she was in the East Wing." <laughs> you know, just all all the all the stuff that Carlton come out. You know, but to be honest, they they were brilliant lads. You know what I mean? They were they were good with us young lads as well. As long as you know, I think us young lads then you know we went out and we grafted. You know, we worked hard to to try and get into the team. So that was that was our trade. We had we had to go out and um, and graft and try and gain the respect of them as well. And um, yeah, he he was brilliant. To be honest, majority of the lads that were that were there were um, really good. For us. Can we talk about Tony Yeboah? Because he obviously encapsulates Leeds in the nineties. Is obviously an icon for the club. What was he like in training? Was he was he as good as he seemed? He was brilliant. Um, you know, I didn't get to. I'm sure I didn't get to train. Although we trained on, you know, at Ellen Road. Then there was the two pitches on the top where it's a car park. That that was the training ground. So um, I'm sure at that time they brought out the. The new predator, I think, was uh, you know the, the kind of the force predator they brought out, and I'm sure Gordon Strachan actually had them. And all the lads were like, Gordon had gone home. The lads were all trying them on, but uh, I'm sure you know I'm, I'm sure I trained a, a little bit with uh, with Tony, but not a great deal. But yeah, unbelievable player. You know, he could score from anywhere, and um, he was very very strong as well. And yeah, I, 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 probably in my career starting out, I remember. Probably a bit more of Lucas and Philemon Masing. Two of them, I'm sure they signed for Leeds for combined two hundred fifty thousand pound. And Lucas went on to be an absolute legend for for Leeds United. And obviously Philemon went on and scoring goals. And um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was unbelievable. You know what I mean for for us young lads because that's what we were. You know we were still cleaning the boots, cleaning the balls, still had jobs to do around the stadium when all the force team had gone so it was it was part of our our learning the trade where nowadays young kids don't have to do that um yeah. i think it stands you in, in good stead but um yeah it was it was brilliant to be be around the the team then another quintessential 90s player early 90s i would say there was thomas brolin your career might have crossed paths with thomas you were breaking into the first team and he he went awol in, in the summer of 96, Howard Wilkinson was accused him of being unfit, played him out of position, a bit confusing. He went away, didn't come back. What do you remember from that summer? I remember him coming in and I, I remember looking and thinking, he's definitely had a good summer. 
But uh, yeah, his, his touch, his ability, you could see that he definitely had the ability and the quality, you know, to, to score out of nowhere. But um, yeah, I think um, at that time, I think he was probably carrying it a little bit too much to be able to perform at the levels that the club wanted him to. And um, yeah, and then probably soon afterwards, he was uh, he was shifted on because, you know, times then, you know, it was start, you could see it was starting to change. Uh, about diet and putting the right fuel into your body and um, although we all had baggy tops then so um, you know where you look at the the current professional teams they're all literally sprayed the tops are sprayed onto them aren't they Mm. we'll move on to the the 96-97 season which was pretty much your breakthrough season Ian and it was a big changing of the guard really there was a lot of outgoings and a lot of incomings so players who who were left that summer were included John Lukic, Nigel Worthington, Gary Speed, Gary McAllister. And then incomings were Ian Rush, Lee Sharp, Lee Bowyer and Nigel Martin. Was it like a um, a new team, basically, when you all reconvened that summer? Uh, well, yeah. You know, I was still fi- trying to find my feet to, to break into the fourth team. But I remember Ball um, coming in and, yeah, he, he Ball was... Bolt was amazing. Nigel Martin was amazing as well. Uh, I think did we sign him for Crystal Palace? I think it might have been. Yes, did that's we right. Yeah. Him from Palace. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Nigel was obviously he was involved with England. He probably would like to have played more games in England, but at that time it was uh, Dave Seaman was the, was the number one. So, mm. but yeah, Nigel on his day, one of the one of the best goalkeepers by far. Uh, Lee Sharp. Was he coming from? Did he come from Manchester United? It was, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was brilliant. He was he was so good with all the young lads and that. You know what I mean? So um, obviously, his dancing when he scored a goal or whatever. Sharpie was a great like uh, guy with all, with all of us, you know. But he, he slotted in it. Every player, pretty much, to come into Leeds United. Um, all the the current squad that was there always made them feel welcome. So um, focusing on the on the ninety six ninety seven season, that, that being the year of the the book that we're working on. In that season, just to refresh your memory, Howard Wilkinson got the sack after just five games, um, albeit the last being a four nil home defeat to Man United. Can you remember that period and how the players reacted to that? Because it, it seemed a bit hasty, it being so early in the season. There's only a few games in. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, Howard was. He was an amazing manager um, for what he did for Leeds United. Um, football is just—it's so fickle, you know what I mean? It, it's well, especially being a manager. It's always about results-based, isn't it? And um, yeah, it was very sad to, to see someone like him go, uh, especially because he was the one that gave me the, the opportunity to play at Leeds. So it was, it was sad to see him go. But I think the manager came in. Was it George Graham? George Graham came in, yeah, and he'd just had a, a ban from the game, I believe, for uh, being involved in bung, Bungs, yeah, at Arsenal. Can, can you remember the reaction to him being appointed? Did anyone mention the ban that he'd had? No. Well, to be honest, that, that's news to me, what you're saying, but I remember George coming in and, and what he had did with, obviously, people had gone, look, look at what, defensively, what he did at Arsenal um, was amazing. It was, it was always about, right, defend, defend, and, and if we can score. And to be honest, he, he improved... Not just me, but I think that the whole back line, you know, he, he always said if the ball's out on the right wing, uh, you, you shuffle across. So it's like an elastic band. And if you're the full back and you're staying out there, imagine that elastic band is going to smack you in the face. So you need to get yourself round. But no, he, he, was, he was brilliant, uh, really good. And, you know, from then, you know, results started to pick up when mm-hmm. he came in. 
Yeah, so you finished you finished eleventh that season, having only scored twenty eight goals all year in the league, which is unbelievable. You had have a guess how many clean sheets you got that year in thirty eight games. <laughs> With George, the manager, I, I, I'm guessing we won a load of games, 1-0. Um, yeah. Clean sheets, I was going to say 15. 20. Which wow. is just unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And that's what I'm saying. It was all about, right, making us difficult to break down, making it difficult for teams to score against us. And as you said, we, we haven't scored many goals, so it's a good job that we, we had a tight defence then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were bereft of goals that season. The top scorers were <laughs> Lee Sharp. Should have stuck me up front, shouldn't they? Should, yeah, they, they could have. <laughs> Sharpie and Brian Dean got five each. And when me and Richie were young lads playing, you used to get a trophy for for being top scorer. But to go up and get a trophy for five goals is, is five goals. Really wow. acceptable. Can you, can you remember the presentation night? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. When when you look at it, you think five goals, wow! And we finished eleventh. Mm. That's that's to be honest, that's remarkable, isn't it? When you think of it. Yeah. Things picked up quite dramatically. Really, things started to get really exciting for Leeds in the the seasons after this. Dean Rush and Yabo all left in the summer. So did Tony Dorigo and Colton Palmer. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank arrives and brings with him. A load of goals, two million pounds signing. What a player! Oh, for for two million pounds, what a steal! Mm. Jimmy was amazing. Uh, we used to stand outside the edge of the box. I'd be obviously ready to take the free kick. Jimmy be one side. The keeper, you could just tell the keeper gone. Which which one was going to hit it? He didn't know. And to be honest, the majority of the time, whether it was me or Jimmy that hit it, they were in the back of the goal because the keeper wasn't sure whether it was me or Jimmy going to hit it, and he had some power in the, in the, in the shots as well. So it was, uh, yeah, it was always nice to be stood on the edge of the box with someone like him, knowing the power that he had and the power that I had, that uh, if we hit the target, it was in the back of the net. My abiding memory of, of Jimmy is the crap cartwheel celebration that he used to do <laughs> when he scored. I thought it was just a Tino Aspria rip-off. Do, do you remember that? Did you ever discuss that one with him? I I do remember his cartwheel, to be honest. I probably, my, my cartwheel celebration probably wasn't much better as well. So uh, I'm not, I'm not going to slay him. <laughs> my attempt, attempted cartwheel, yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely fun. Definitely fun. You don't really care when you score a goal at Ellen Road. You just, yeah, you, you just, uh, you lose all sense of and make, make an idiot of yourself. But uh, no, nah, it's, it's, it's an amazing, Jimmy, Jimmy was a, a great guy, great guy as well. Um, got on well with him obviously the, the Dutch arrogance that he had mm-hmm. but he backed it up because mm-hmm. you know he scored goals yeah he did and actually you scored as a team you scored 57 league goals that season compared to 28 the previous season so you know the injection of Jimmy finished made 12. a big difference <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I think you finished fifth that year actually um, so it's a, a yeah and qualified for the UEFA Cup as well so it was a, a big season and obviously you're you're starting to. I think Dorigo left that year as well, so you were probably one step closer to becoming uh, the first team regular. Ian, there was um, something interesting happened in the March of that year. Uh, the plane you were travelling back from West Ham caught fire, and you had to make an emergency landing. I read about this quite recently. Is that, is that what it was called, an emergency landing? <laughs> <laughs> Not to trivialise that incident, but I mean Leeds United at this time, it's like something out of the football drama dream team. You know, there's so many mad things <laughs> happening to the club <laughs> at the time. You must have been thinking, 
what on earth is happening here? Can can you remember that night? I presume it's sticking. Oh, I, I can remember like it was yesterday. Yes. Um, no, it was it was awful. We flew off from Leeds Bradford Airport, heading down to down to London. And to be honest, when the plane was taking off, it barely, and I mean barely, even got up into the air. You're thinking, come on, you sat on the plane, think, come on, you're kind of pushing the head, think, come on, get up, get up, get up. Yeah, honestly, it barely got up, and you're thinking. Obviously, then we, we played in the West Ham game. We got stuffed 3-0. So the day couldn't have got any worse. And then we had took off, I think it was from Stansted Airport, which is the long, now I know, I think it's the longest runway in Britain, Stansted. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took off. We got about 150 feet in the air and the right engine blew up. Literally, there's a piston. Obviously, I know all the information now because trying to get me on another plane I had to had to go and see like a counsellor or whatever because I was literally mm. so scared of flying. Um, and the way they explained it was that the piston shot straight up into the sky and they were saying that the piston could have gone down, which then would have took the wing off the plane. When you when you hear back what they said, if it had it came left, it would have ripped a hole in the middle of the plane. So there was someone praying for us that night. We mm. got stuffed against West Ham but there was someone praying for us, you know what I mean? And we, we crashed, we ended up, the pilot was meant to circle around um, and land the plane back on the runway. But with all the fuel in it and obviously the fire, if he hadn't got us down when he did, potentially the plane could have blew up. So um, we hit the end of the runway uh, and the front wheel of the plane actually got ripped off the plane. So you could feel it was sliding. We actually stopped 50 feet from the motorway and um, we all have to then jump off the back. There was no chutes or anything. It was an old plane. We had to jump off. I think there was only one casualty. Was, uh, I think it was one director. I can't think of his name. But he was like, I can't jump because it was quite high considering the plane, the, the wheel had got ripped off. So it was sticking right up in the air. Mm. And Steve McPhail pushed them because obviously <laughs> everyone was trying to get off the player. Yeah. The, player the plane, Rob Molinar, I think was trying to get out the wing where the fire was. And one of the lads went, what are you doing? Come on, yes. out the back. So we, we all end up getting off the, the back of the plane. And that was probably the quickest I've ever moved. I was straight <laughs> off that runway. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, obviously so it was, the, uh, it was pretty terrifying, I must be honest. Yeah, mm. and obviously the the aftermath like that, for a, the, the issue for a footballer is you have to do a lot of travelling on planes. Well, to be honest, we, we actually went back into the into the airport. where we, we were there until, we were there for a couple of hours anyway because they were trying to organise, believe it or not, another plane to get us back up. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't then that you're kind of in shock. It was only the days following that mm-hmm. it kind of sinks in. You're thinking, this could have been so much different. You know, it could, it could have gone horribly wrong. The plane could have blew up, or as you say, that piston that shot out of the engine could have came through the plane and probably killed one or two of the players. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, um, yeah, it was, we were very, very lucky. But, um yeah, it's definitely, I remember it like it was yesterday, yeah. Mm. The ne- I think it was the next 20 season. years ago, was it? Just recently. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the next season, you're now playing in Europe as well. So that's quadruple the amount of flights you've got to take. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember going hold it with my wife. And um, I think it was a four-hour flight we went somewhere. And literally she talked and like, oh, hold my hand. Honestly, I literally sat for the four hours with me hands interlocked like sweating any little mm-hmm. bump or she talked I wouldn't even talk honestly I was terrified 
But I had to go, I, I went and seen the council and they were like, okay, this has happened. You've got to shelve it. That's a, so take it off the shelf and put it in storage. That that has happened to you, but you've got to move on in the, in the football's career. You need to get back on a flight. Well, I think uh, Dennis Bergkamp, he was on a flight with bad turbulence and he was like, I'm not getting on a flight again. So, mm. you know, yeah, it's happened, you know. What are the chances of it happening again? Please God, it doesn't. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, a lucky escape. So the following season, 98-99 now, and this is the season where George Graham goes to Spurs and uh, and D- David O'Leary takes over. And I think O'Leary takes a lot of credit for giving youngsters an opportunity there. And this is, again, you get a lot more a lot more games this season. Was it was it good to get out there on the pitch and play with, with you know, guys that have come through the academy and... and how was it playing under O'Leary versus George Graham? Yeah, it was brilliant because, well, David was there with, with George, but George um, George had installed, you know, for the defensive side of it, you know what I mean, making us hard to beat. David then came in and added the kind of attacking, you know, getting on the front foot and, and attacking teams. And, yeah, of course, it was brilliant breaking through with, with young players like Jonathan Woodgate, Harry Kuehl, you know, that, um, that got the opportunity to play. And no matter who we played, whether you're playing Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, we didn't care. We knew that by the end of that game, that team who we played knew they were in the game. Uh, and then someone like Alan Smith up front, you know, he was feisty. You know what I mean? He's leaving an elbow on players. And, you know, I remember playing against like Chelsea and you have LeBoff Le and some top international players and Smithy's going out and he's literally smashing them. And they're thinking, who's this young kid here? Smithy didn't care. Likewise, Harry, on his day, he was, he was unstoppable. Uh, you've got Lee Boyer as well. You've got Eric Backer, um, Jonathan Woodgate. I, personally, I think he's the best defender I've ever played with. Mm. Uh, the only unfortunate thing was that he had a lot of um, injuries due to... He was quite tall and then all of a sudden, felt like overnight that he, he shot straight up. But uh, Jonathan was, um, he mm. was brilliant. I remember Thierry Henry knocking the ball by him, Ellen Road down the wing. And Woody's about 10 yards back and he ends up getting back into the box and sliding in for a tackle to, to knock it out for a corner. So he was so quick as well. Yeah. We've already mentioned that you've had, we finished 11th that first season, then you're up to 5th and you're into Europe. And the following season, you have another great year. You finish 3rd in the Premier League. You get all the way through to the UEFA Cup semi-finals. And from a personal point of view, you get in the Premier League Team of the Year. Yeah. I've got the medal somewhere in the house. Yeah. But yeah, the, the well... I look back to the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup and, you know, I think it haunts every Leeds fan of what happened uh, that night in Galatasaray. You know, there was mm-hmm. lots of Leeds fans, I think, had um, had been stabbed, uh, unfortunately, too, had lost their lives. And to be honest, if it happened in this day and age, they would have been chucked out. We should never, ever, you know, UEFA should have stepped in and said, no, the game is, it's not getting played. So we were kind of forced to play the game where you look back now and you think well, we would never have played it. No chance. We should never have played it because none of the players are in the right frame of mind. We're, we're watching, we're literally watching the television channels of the Leeds fans getting chased through, um, you know, uh, Istanbul. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it looked, it looked like, like a terrifying movie. Um, so yeah. And then, a few of the lads were getting phone calls to to the rooms of Galatasaray fans, so it was uh, it was really upsetting for all of us. And yeah, we we well we should have been protected by the 
the governing bodies and we should not have played it. But but we did. We lost the fourth game away 2-0. Uh, we got there to go to the stadium, I think, around about two hours before the game and the stadium was packed, flared, mm. and I was welcome to hell. And you just, you just felt terrified. You just wanted to be on the next flight out, getting back to England. Um, they did some quality players. They had Haji Hakansuka mm. in the team. And then we played them back at our place, and I think it was 2-2. So, um, yeah, it's just sad, uh, so sad the way it went on and happened. But, you know, it's, um, no football fan should ever have to go to a game and, and not return home. Mm. But certainly, you know, the, what happened, yeah, disgrace. Absolutely, yeah. C- can you describe what it's like to play in an atmosphere like that? Uh, obviously, you won't be probably be able to hear each other. It must be so alien compared to regular away games that you used to. Well, that that people say, what's the worst experience? That is by a country mile. Horrible. Yeah, we we actually had armed police running alongside the bus on the way to the stadium. We arrived when we, when we arrived at the airport. There must have been about at least six thousand fans there, like literally ch- chanting, screaming at us. You know, just to unsettle you. Then you're in the hotel, you're going for a walk, you have literally fans shouting, screaming at you and you're going for a walk. I show you're on the bus, you've got armed police and believe it or not, I'm sure we had an, an army tank in front of the bus going to the stadium. So you can imagine, you're thinking, what is this? It was awful. You get there and then you go on to pitch and there's literally the police are all holding the plastic or the big kind of um, banners over what they're chucking on the pitch trying to get to us so it's not hitting us. And then you go out and it's like packed fires, flares, welcome to hell. You're thinking, this isn't a game of football. Mm-hmm. This isn't certainly isn't a game of football that people back in England, you know, so it's, uh, it definitely took us out of that comfort zone. But I think many teams, many English teams or any teams that have gone there, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not, a, not a nice place to go for football. Thankfully, it's a bit more savoury 20 years later. That's one of the better things about modern football. Yeah, times have changed or whatever, but um, yeah, it was it was awful. It was awful, yeah. Well, on a happier note, um, you finished third in the league that season. Did did you think that you could go on and win the league? Of course, yeah. No matter no matter who we played on our day, we knew that we could beat anybody. Um, so yeah, we we definitely thought that we we could go on and um, and win the league, hundred percent. Ian, into the year 2000 then, Leeds are absolutely flying, you know, challenging for the league, getting deep into European competitions and investing money in, in players, probably investing a little bit too heavily in players. There was a player specifically that you signed in 2000 that I wanted to ask you about, Mark Viduka. Now, he was described by someone on television as um, a player who looks like they're playing in jeans. And I thought that was quite a funny quote. So I Googled it to try and find the exact quote. And I've actually stumbled upon a story told by Michael Bridges that he actually once turned up and did a cool down session in just his jeans. Were you there for that one? Um, I probably will have been there, but I can't remember him in jeans. Yeah, the story was he drove his Mercedes to the side of the pitch, jumped out, did a did a couple of laps of the pitch in his jeans, got in the Mercedes and drove home. And O'Leary went, "Well, it's for Duke." Well, so he's to be honest, to the, that that probably is true. To be honest, yeah, because the Dukes <laughs> was so laid back. <laughs> um, but but yet when he's on the pitch he was you know such a big lad like being able to turn and score amazing goals 
the game will always stand out against Liverpool. We won four three, and he scored the four goals. But yeah, for Duke, for Duke for us, yeah, I remember us signing from Celtic, and and people were saying, oh, he'd gone a wall at Celtic, and yeah. uh, and and the fa- all the fans were going, well, we're not bothered about for Duke whether he comes back, but we want his wife to come back. Is, uh, yeah, because obviously his his wife was uh, I think Croatian or whatever, and she was like a model or whatever. So um, so the, I don't think the fans, the Celtic fans, were, were too bothered. But uh, but yeah, for Duke was he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, so as I say, so laid back, settled in, and you know he was a remarkable remarkable player for the for Leeds United. Yeah, yeah, I saw him. I thought he was good when he came to Newcastle, but he never seemed bothered. He just so chilled out, and when Newcastle went down, he just retired. That's that is the Duke's just nothing bothers him. You know what I mean? He's just so laid back. But yeah, he, he performed. He did well at, at Leeds United. So mm. I don't care what he did at Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> well, he we got we went down, and he retired. So all <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> well, he was absolutely awesome for Borough. One of my all-time favourite players. I was going to say, yeah, he, he did well at Middlesbrough as well, didn't he? Yeah, he's just on the ball. In the box, it did. He could skin four players without moving. It's just the way he just just turned here or there and found half a yard and would and, and score. And we had Hasselbank up front with him at the time, as well as Yakubu and the three of them together. It was it was a joke. Um, but he was he's in my top three all time Borough players. Absolutely, nah, class. The Dukes was brilliant. Yeah, I still speak to him. He's over in Croatia at the moment. That's where he is. Oh, so uh, when when he when he retired, I spoke to him. I says, "Oh, for Duke, because sort of a friend of mine, he wants to do like a kind of like a question and answer thing in Leeds." And I said to the Duke, "says Oh, would you be interested in coming across?" I said, "A friend of mine would like to get you across and actually pay you for coming across flights, hotel." He went, "Hi," he says, oh, "I'm not really bothered." I said, "What are you doing?" He went, "I'm just on my yacht." That's what he said to me. <laughs> so. Uh, nice. Fair play. Yeah, so in his jeans. Yeah. In his you jeans. Wanna, you want to do a Q and A in a Weatherspoons in Leeds? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he went. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not too bothered. I'm just, I'm just sat on the yacht. So I was like, "All oh, right, fair play then." Love it. Love it. Well, he gave you some additional firepower that year, and that's the year that you um, had the run in the Champions League, getting to the semi-final. Presumably, you can remember that like it was yesterday, can you? That that run in the in the tournament. Oh yeah, it was. Um... Well, I can remember very well. Fourth game against Barcelona, I played left wing. We got absolutely stuffed. Walking down onto the pitch um, at the new Camp, um, there's a chapel on the right-hand side as you're walking down the steps. So we all went in to say, said a little prayer. You know, just, you're thinking, well, might never be here again, so we're going to say a little. And um, we got stuffed 4-0. But the, the team Barcelona had was, was ridiculous. It was a bit of a lesson for us and we knew that after that game it was probably the best thing that happened because we weren't going to be in the Champions League for long if we if we kept playing like that. And um, yeah, the following game we played AC Milan, lashing down at Allen Road. Rivaldo, the team that they had was just the names rolling off your tongue and Lee Boyer scored a goal that mm. is a Dida. Would, mm. nine times out of ten, would deal with it but because it was so wet he palmed it down spun in between his legs and into the back of the and that's what I'm saying you need a bit of luck as well and uh, then the following game after I think was we played Besiktas I think it was we beat them 6-0 so um, yeah it was yeah the, the, the journey we went from the, the group of death back then there was a group and then you went to another group yeah. we went from the group of death into the group of death where we had like um, it was Lazio we had Real Madrid as well. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it was crazy. It's like it's like you've played all the big boys. You have played all the big boys in one season. Like you, you, you know, playing at the Bernabeu, New Camp, San Siro. It's a it's a joke of a of a tournament for Leeds. That I know. It was um, yeah. It was again some some of the best players in the world. You know what I mean? Maldini. You look at left backs. I always look at left backs and I go, you know, Roberto Carlos, Maldini. You know, Costa Corta, uh, Raul was playing um, up front. It was just yeah. It was you know. It was it was amazing, but sad that we went out in the semi-finals. But if I'm going to be honest, we went out to the best team over the two legs. We we should have probably got something at home. We didn't. John Carew up front, Mendieta, who went on to play at Middlesbrough, was uh, one of the best players probably in in the world at that time. Um, Canizares, Angulo, um, we finished nil nil, and then we got beat three nil. So, you know. All credit to them, they were a talented team. Have you ever bumped into Mendieta in Yarn? That's the question. <laughs> no, but I have played in the All Stars, you know, the Oh yeah, yeah. The old retired football. I played in it and, and uh Guy Scar was, was up there. So I met up with him, but there was a story when he was at Middlesbrough. A few of the Middlesbrough lads used to say, um I don't know if Craig Hignett was there with him or not. But um I think he he had an old Mercedes car, and the lads were like, "Like Mendia," he says, "Why are you coming in an old car?" He says, "Well, I only need the old car to take me here to Seaside Airport, where I get on my private plane." <laughs> so the lads were like, "Oh my god." <laughs> okay, then half time in Ian Hart with an E and. It's the part of the show where we like to talk about our fantastic sponsors, Tops, who have uh, kindly supplied us with some uh, merchandise, modern-day merchandise, and merchandise from 1997. They were kind enough to send us some stickers that were from the 1997 Merlin's Premier League sticker book. And I'm wondering if they're going to regret that, because, question, Richie, have you, in your Champions League sticker unwrappings, I know you've been busy doing those, have you found an Erling Haaland sticker yet? Uh, I have, and I've, I've positioned it very neatly on the Brucey Dortmund page. Thank you very much. Good, good. Just the one, or have you got a swap of him? Uh, just the one. Okay, well, you know, keep a hold of that sticker book, because it could be worth quite a bit of money in the future. I'm going to read out uh, something from an article I found, because basically the football card market in the last 6 to 12 months has gone ballistic. I don't know if it's because Searching for Shinies has launched as a podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to take full credit for it, but mm. have a listen to this, okay. okay? This is an article from ESPN.com, the American ESPN. Oh, okay. Headline is Erling Haaland for just $125,000. The story behind his record-breaking rookie card as soccer market explodes. Here we go. Haaland's potential is frightening. Age 20, he has already scored 20 Champions League goals in just 14 matches. An unfortunate injury could derail his career. His goals record could dry up, but if he continues this trajectory, he will be one of the modern era's greatest players. Someone who could, along with PSG's Kylian Mbappe, capture the imagination of soccer fans <laughs> as Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo have for nearly two decades. And that's why those in the sports trading card industry were not surprised to see one of Haaland's autographed Topps Rookie Bundesliga cards selling for an eye-watering $124,320,000 in an auction at the start of March. There are so many things he can do in his career. David Lina, GM, Global Sports and Entertainment at the Topps company, tells ESPN. Hi, David. I think the euphoria I've seen here 
is similar to what we saw with LeBron James 20 years ago in basketball. I remember back in 2003, 4, 5, thinking, oh my, these LeBron cards are going to go for crazy money. <laughs> and now you look back and think, actually, they were cheap. With this Haaland card that sold for nearly 125 grand, we could be talking in five years and that card could be worth a million dollars. You just don't know where it's going to go. <sighs> I don't know what to so, make of that. We've entered the sticker market at the right time, I think. Yes, quite possibly. <laughs> I mean, for, it's, I mean, that's unbelievable, isn't it? I don't, I don't know what to say here. It's, um, I mean, it's a lot of money to spend on a piece of cardboard. Um, <laughs> it's signed, though. It is signed, so that's you know that take. I mean, what would you pay for a signed Shearer sticker? You personally? I don't know. Well, I mean, I paid about nine quid for the signed Ryan Giggs nineteen ninety seven Merlin sticker book, mm. which we then gave away to someone in Slovenia. Rightly so. So, I don't know. The market's a bit all over the place, but this is real. This is a real story. You know, we'll post it on our Twitter account. It could be because, you know, Searching for Chinese podcast has launched, but it also could be, you know, people looking in their lofts during COVID, finding old collections with rare individual cards, and, you know, but the trend is is very real. Yeah. Well, um, if, Dave, if David Lehner of um, GM mm-hmm. Global Sports thinks it's going to be worth a million dollars in five years' time, I'm going to have to remortgage the house and get involved because... <laughs> David knows his stuff. That's all I'm saying. Well, Richie, I mean, like I said, top sent us about a hundred original 1997 Merlin Premier League stickers. I've got a, I've got a mint condition Colin Calderwood here. That, I mean, that could pay my mortgage in in five, ten years time if, if if this is going the way I think it's going. Not interested in him. Uh, you know, overseas player Alan Nielsen, uh, Robbie Elliott, Dean Holdsworth, Teddy Sheringham, Shiny, Mark Draper, oh, uh, Kevin Keegan, oh, Dean Sturridge. No. Paolo Futre, uh-huh. uh, who we yeah. So you know, I've got we've got all these cards here, and the, the market is is booming. I'll just go on to finish the article because uh, this is this is a real phenomenon, and, and and it is happening. You know, in recent in recent times, the article goes on to to conclude across all sports, the trading card market is seeing its records toppled on a near monthly basis. For the vintage ones, usually those cards produced before 1980, the record stands at 5.2 million, paid by actor Rob Goff. For a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle card, mm. for modern cards, an unknown buyer spent $4.6 million in February for an autograph card of NBA star Luka Doncic. Mm. But soccer is creeping up on the heels of the more established markets. Soccer, quote, is our highest growth category right now, says Ken Golden, founder of sports trading card specialist Golden Auctions. When I started the business in 2012, the people looking for soccer cards were non-existent. It started becoming more popular in 2019, more so in 2020, when Searching for Shinies launched. That's me, not Ken, not Ken Golden. Right now, it is to the point that if, if you took Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes out of the American football market, soccer would be third for us behind baseball and basketball. It is our biggest growing international market. Well, so are these people buying the, the the cards direct from Tops? I think they're because if they are, Tops, I'm going to be knocking on Tops' door saying, "Come on, <laughs> more more sponsorship, please." Yeah, yeah, they're Tops Chrome cards, which I think are available on their website. But you get them signed, you're in you're in the money. It got me wondering, Richie, do you have any favourite pieces of nineties? Football memorabilia, any particularly random bits and bobs? Um, I suppose going back to that era, my pride and joy would have been our um, our autograph book. So when we had season tickets at Middlesbrough, we used to go along ridiculously early. Like the, we'd be knocking on the door to let us in, and we'd go and stand next to the tunnel. And as the players came out in their suits, 
Of course, nowadays they'll all have headphones in, but back in those days they didn't. Headphones hadn't been invented. So they'd come out in their suits and they'd walk around the pitch and just look at the grass. I don't know what they were doing, they were just looking at the grass. But often they'd stop off and sign a few autographs. I can picture Stig Inga Barnaby's autograph now. Just just Stig. Just Stig. <laughs> just save time. Um, so I'd say that one for me. What about you? What have you got in the locker? Well, I don't have anything really particularly valuable from the 90s. I mean, I've got all these <laughs> stickers that Tops have sent me, which uh, they'll be going in the safe. But I don't have anything like that I can think of that's particularly, you know, house is burning down, I grab that. But... I really like some of the random stuff I've got. And one of the most random things I can think of is my primary school, Star of the Sea, we cleaned up with uh, in the football league. We used to, we won it every year. We were fantastic, played really expansive football in year five and year six. And uh, <laughs> we went to our presentation night at Willington Key High School. And Michael Bridges from Sunderland was, was doing the presentation. And uh, I took my pen along and my autograph book. And Michael happily signed autographs all night. And uh, when I went to get my autograph, he, he said, oh, your pen's quite good. So he started, he started using my pen for all the other autographs. And I don't know what aftershave he was wearing, but I can still smell it now. It was to- <laughs> completely overwhelming, overwhelming. And I took, I took, I got the pen back off him at the end of the night and it still, it still smelt of his aftershave. Wow. And honestly, I'm not joking. I think I'm going to go in my dad's loft this week retrieve the pen because I'm pretty sure I've still got it I reckon it'll still smell of my have, have a sniff of it make sure you have a real good sniff I've, I'd love to have him on the podcast by the yes, way Mickey if you're yeah. listening come on I, I have quickly very quickly I have thought of one thing from the 90s A, it's not football though it is a uh, I went to Wimbledon tennis and I took my yeah. programme and I steamed through the crowd to Cliff Richard and he signed the front of my programme <laughs> Oh wow, yeah. Cliff! Yeah. At Wimbledon, yeah. at Wimbledon, yeah. So it's there somewhere. His natural territory. Mm. <laughs> wow, that's brilliant, listener. What is your favourite piece of nineties football memorabilia? Bonus points if it's from the ninety six, ninety seven season. The more random, the better. Contact us via the website searchingforshinies.com. Tweet us at the shiny pod. I'll get a, a tweet going with this that you can uh, comment on and get us on Facebook and Instagram at the shiny pod too. I'm going to go up, try and find this Michael Bridges pen and put a picture of it on our Twitter. I think. We should get back to Ian Hart. Yeah, come on, come on, Harty. So obviously, it's around this time that the financial trouble starts to kick in for Leeds. What can you remember of that time? Was was I mean, was the talk about it in the dressing room? Um, well, to be honest, we're we're paid to go out and train, play games. So um, yeah, although you know that there's certain aspects that are going on. They were out of our hands, you know what I mean? It wasn't for us to to worry about it and deal with it. So it was, um, yeah, we, we just kind of went out and focused on, on the football. And then people were saying that was 50 million, then it was 80 million, then it was 100 million, then it was 130 million. So you weren't sure what was the, the true facts or whatever. But um, but then players were getting sold. I moved on to probably get them off the wage bill. So that was the, the time where the group of lads who've grown up with it ended up starting to move on. Was that uh, difficult for you to leave Leeds, a fifteen-year association? Of course, because I moved. I moved over as a fifteen-year-old kid, met some unbelievable friends um, for life, and all of a sudden, you know, you've you've broken into the fourth team with them, and all of a sudden they're getting moved on. So it was it was sad that happened, but to be honest, it probably had to happen because you know the the numbers that people were mentioning that the club was financially in. In difficulty, they had to get rid of get rid of those players. Otherwise, who's to say what what would have happened? The move that you secured then was 
actually away from England to Spain, uh, Levante. How 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 did that one come about? Uh, I don't really well. So I I know, but I I never wanted to leave Leeds. I actually had two years left at Leeds, and um, Kevin Blackwell was the manager at the time. There were so many managers that kind of Terry Venables, Eddie Gray. Um, so it was yeah. I went back for pre-season, and I went back. I was so fit. And Kevin Blackwell pretty much said to me, he says, uh, I understand they need to, to get me off the wage bill. Likewise, with all the other lads, he says, uh, you're not going to play. Um, so I was out in Spain at the time. I had a villa out in Spain. And my agent then said to me, how would you fancy playing in Spain next season? I went, I says, yeah, all day long. Which team? Levante. I went, who are they? <laughs> he went, oh, they, 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 just, they just got promoted into the Premier League. I think, right, okay, so we actually got a flight from Malaga up to uh, up to Valencia. Went up there, met the president, had a look around the stadium, training ground, and um, just went back to went back to Leeds. Obviously, back then I was involved with the Irish team as well, so you know I knew that if I wasn't playing, I was definitely not going to be getting picked. So I just went over, decided to to make it, you know, make it happen, and. Um, yeah, I was there for three years. I loved it. Yeah. You know, different culture of playing unbelievable football. The manager at Levante then was a manager, Bern Schuster, who played for Barcelona, Real Madrid and, and Germany, who went on to manage Real Madrid. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. I loved it. It was good. Do you uh, hablo en español? Si. <laughs> yeah. Fluent? <laughs> no, I, I can speak quite a bit. But I, at the time, uh, John and Woodgate, He'd just signed as well. Okay. So, yeah, Woody, Woody just brought... Well, he'd gone in on his fourth game. I think he played for Real Madrid. I'm sure he... He scored an on-goal and got sent off, didn't he? Yeah. He did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> After about a year of waiting as well. Yeah. And then he got injured. And um, so Woody was out of the team. And he Woody, Woody was, had a tutor coming but he was fluent I mean like proper fluent in Spanish he was injured he couldn't do that and yeah. all the the original Ronaldo um, yeah. Raul they absolutely loved him because he, he chucked himself in the, the deep end you know Woody, Woody was a character but the lads I mean like the, the kind of galactical lads they absolutely loved him why? because he thought I don't care if I make an idiot of myself but and he, he learned um, he learned a hell of a lot of uh, Spanish, and uh, yeah, yeah, I remember obviously when when we played away, I was speaking to him, and yeah, they, they were raving about him. Was it difficult to go from Spain to Sunderland, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. Well, to be honest, um, <laughs> yeah, Roy, Roy was actually uh, I went over on trial, and um, yeah, after a week, I was asked to sign. So it was only a year I signed, but. Majority, so I didn't play much anyway, but any game time I did, I played at right back. So that was a bit of a frustrating time for me. But yeah, Sunderland's a great club. Um, I enjoyed my time there. Of course, I would like to have played a bit more, but it didn't work out. And that's what happens sometimes as a footballer. You, you don't get the opportunities or whatever. And it doesn't work out. But I went from Sunderland to Blackpool. Uh, Simon Grayson was the manager. I went there. I'd literally just signed just in the door about two days and he'd left and gone to Leeds. So I was thinking, oh my God, how's my look? So then the caretake manager came in and he didn't really fancy me. So I ended up terminating that 
it was only, a, I think it was six weeks. I terminated it before the actual window opened so I could move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it was actually running around where I live. And Graham Kavanagh lives across the road. And he actually texted me saying, do you fancy coming, because he was the assistant manager at Carlisle, he said, do you fancy coming up to Carlisle and signing up here? Mm-hmm. I went, yeah, 100%. I, I had no other options. Mm-hmm. So people go on about what, what career you've had playing World Cup or whatever, it doesn't matter. I went to Spain, people didn't know what what, what was up to, what shape I was in. So um, I kind of had to go out and prove to them that I was good enough. So he didn't tell me until afterwards, but I was going to Carlisle on the trial that particular day. And um, I played at centre-half. So um, so sure enough, they, they did sign me. And I played um, played the majority of the time at centre half. I scored 19 goals in one season for Carlisle. And on deadline day, I had a verbal agreement with the manager then, Greg Abbott, that if the club came in, they had to let me go for 70 grand. So sure enough, Brian McDermott, Reading manager, came in and they contacted Carlisle. And Carlisle went, no, nah, no, nah, it's 100 grand. I went, no, Greg, don't you dare stop me going to the championship. <laughs> So fair, fair play to him. Um, he was a man of his word, and he went, "I did say seventy, yeah." So of course I understand that they didn't want it. Let me go for seventy grand because they were saying, "Who are we going to replace you with for seventy grand or not?" After scoring nineteen goals, so I went to Reading, and and that's you know I was there for three seasons. Um, two of them seasons I got in team of the season, and on the second season we got promoted to the Premier League at Reading. So it was. Um, yeah, amazing to be into my 30s back in the Premier League with Reading. And then went on to Bournemouth with Eddie Howe. Eddie Brook invited me down for a chat and um, went down and met him. And played quite a bit in the first year. Obviously, second year, I was, what, nearly 38. Got an injury, played a few games, but delighted that the team got promoted to the Premier League and to be a part of that. And decided then it was probably best time to, to get out you know I had plenty of options to kind of play on but uh, I thought I'd rather finish on a high that you know fans can look back and go he's had a good, good career rather than dropping down the leagues and mm. people mm-hmm. saying oh he's finished or whatever so yeah so yeah. it was good the, the last half of your career was really interesting you had a three year gap away from the Premier League between 2004 and 2007 then you had another four year gap away from the Premier League between 2008 and 2012 did you notice that the league had changed when you came back to it or was it still quite similar to the Premier League that you knew and that you established yourself in during the 90s? Um, no, I, th- I think it had changed. It was it was more dynamic. You know, it was quicker. There was better players getting brought into to clubs. Um, so, yeah, of course, I wasn't getting any younger as well. So, you know, you're up against whether it's, you know, Sean White Phillips or Raheem Sterling, young lads that are coming through that are rapid. So, of course, you, you knew that times were changing. And I think the older you kind of got when you were playing, you looked after your body more than when you were younger because your metabolism was probably, well, it was better when you were younger. But you're getting older, you're thinking, well, I, I need to step up for these young lads. You know, these young lads are trying to push you in ahead of me. So I need to, you need to do something different, something different. But, um, it was a good challenge. It was really, really good. And yeah, I enjoyed it at, at them clubs. I just, I know for, well, I look, I look at the stats. I think in the top defenders within the Premier League, John Terry's the top goal scorer and defender. 
but I think he's played an extra 150, 180 games more than me. And I, I know that if I, if I had a played more in the Premier League, easily I could have been um, the top goal scorer and defender ever. Mm. Mm. So, John Terry wasn't yeah. on pens though. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> A quintessential 90s story that that I came up across was in the 90s, McDonald's gave all the Leeds players special gold cards that gave, got you free McDonald's. Did you? Certainly did. Do you remember? How often were you down? How often were you in Mackey D's? I'd say, if, if I'm going to be honest, probably the Leeds down, lads then, I'd definitely say with that card, because you, you, you can get whatever food you want for free. Unbelievable. Yeah, a couple of, I'd, honestly, I would say a couple of times a week, the lads were definitely using it. <laughs> the cards got well used. What was your order? Um, it probably would have been a Big Mac or something like that. Yeah, it would have been something like that. But yeah, the, you, you literally you had the card, you walk back out, and for instance, one of the other young lads that's coming through, you could hand the card to him, he can go in and use it. Honestly, it was... It was literally, honestly, bonkers. Absolutely bonkers it was, yeah. <laughs> and as a young lad, you can probably get away with that. Scran and McDonald's, you're training a lot, you do, you're playing games every week. It's probably acceptable. Well, back then, because you're, I'm not saying you're young, and but, you know, if, you, if you're a professional footballer and you're eating McDonald's now, you know, mm. because there's so many, I think the Leeds lads, they, they get weighed every single day. You know, there's dietitians, mm. your body fat levels, Literally, football has changed, you know what I mean, in the last 10 years. So I don't think they'd be too happy with you putting that kind of fuel, if you can call it fuel, into your body. Uh, I don't think they'd be too happy, yeah. Because if, if you want to you want to play at the highest level, you know what I mean, they want no excuses, so they want to make sure that you're eating the right fuel, that you're able to um, go out and put a shift in. I think body fat levels back then, you have to be under 12%, where now I think you have to be under 8%. So literally like machines. What must David O'Leary have been thinking when he sees his players getting given free McDonald's cards? He must have been fuming. I'm sure David got one as well. (laughs) (laughs) So in doing research for the podcast, I thought I'd look up your disciplinary record to see if you had... I I can't remember you being a dirty player as such. You only got sent off once, is that right? No, it's not. No. Can you remember any of your sendings off? Yeah, I got sent off against Arsenal. Is that right? I don't know. I couldn't find it anywhere. I've been, which, which will bring me on to my second question in a moment. But go on. Yeah. So you think you got sent off against Arsenal? We're playing, we, we were playing against Arsenal. Dennis Bergkamp was running, like running towards goal, and literally uh, nowhere. I just came and took him out. I got straight red. So you know, I let the team down. I think we, we got beat that game as well. So David wasn't too happy with me, but. Um, yeah, I got sent off in Spain as well. I didn't get sent off too much, but um, oh yeah, but yeah, I I think you know if there's an opportunity for me to nail someone, then <laughs> I definitely nail them. Yeah, I, I that's the script. Well, the, the best the best way Graham Kavanagh would say, he says you're the nicest guy off the pitch. When you're on it, you are horrible mm. because. <laughs> You know, especially when I was at Carlisle, I was playing centre-half. I'm up against people like Akin Fenway, mm. you know, or big, big physical. But if there's a ball in the air there, I was literally gone and I'd stick my studs right in the middle of the back 
because I'm thinking I'm only what five eleven, playing against six foot odd lads, thinking I'm going to get battered here. So, so I was, um, yeah, I, I have that nasty streak in me. How would you even do that physically? Get the studs in the back. You, you've got to get your leg up high to do that, haven't you? Of course. Well, how do you get up high? You put your studs right in the middle of the back, and then you push up the head the ball. <laughs> So the reason I wanted to chat about this was because obviously I was looking up and on Google if I type in Ian Hart red card it doesn't come up with any of your red cards or Leon Arsenal but what it does come up with is all of the people who've been sent off playing against you. Did you have a bit of a there's accusations of you of you sort of I don't want to say going down easily but of I don't know playing the referee maybe a little bit I don't do you remember any any sort of media stuff about that I do I can remember what's the striker that I remember it well because they absolutely hated me is it Marcus Stewart plays for yeah, Ipswich. He plays for Ipswich yeah I, mm. I actually got him sent off and he's he'd literally come in out of nowhere he'd not even touch me but I'd rolled over he got sent off and he's up and gone can't believe you get me sent off and I'm kind of looking and laughing at him as he's walking off. So, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So, I did, did a dive. Well, I made, I made it kind of mountain out of a, a molehill. Yes. Well, we've, we've got a quote here from Alex Ferguson. I don't know if you remember this one. Do you remember this quote from Alex Ferguson? I we do, all, yeah. Can I read well, it out for the, for the listeners who might not know it? Go on. <laughs> We all know that Hart has had players sent off this season. Even the media has criticised him in European games for getting players sent off. Hart's record for diving is well known in the game. Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember well, that? Because be that's going to be big news if he's saying that. Of course that. I do. Yeah, it, I remember. But let's be honest. Alex Ferguson was the best manager at winding everybody up. Oh, yeah. Um, knowing that his players wouldn't do the talking. He'd go out and wind everyone up, but um, but his players go out and get the results for them. You know what I mean? So one of one of the best managers probably ever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unbelievable career. But um, it's not as if a Manchester United player had ever dived. So mm. um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm guessing Alex wouldn't have mentioned that. Let me run these by you and see if you can remember the incidences because a couple of them I think uh, might have been a bit scrappy. Graham Stewart from Charlton. Right, okay. Um, I don't remember that one, no. No. Ned Zelich from 1860s Munich. No. No. Ian Wright at West Ham. Yes. I think uh, he gave me a bit of a... He was, Ian Wright was not happy at all. I remember that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. is, this where, is that where he smashed the ref's changing room up? I'm not sure, because I wasn't obviously in the, in the room. Mm-hmm. I was still mm-hmm. on the pitch. He was in a dressing room somewhere, but mm-hmm. yeah, I know. I, I remember him being very, very vocal when he was sent off. Mm-hmm. He's in, in in the dressing room putting ice on his back. Yeah, you just need to calm yourself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the last one I've got is Grant Holt, Norwich. Oh, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that was against Reading. Um, they mm-hmm. were beating us 3 1. And it. He didn't touch me. No, he didn't. But I'm thinking we're getting back. We're getting back at three one. I'm thinking I need to do something. So the ball bounced in the middle of the pitch, and I flicked the ball, and he kind of come through, but he'd not connected with me. But I was rolling round. He got a straight red, and we we actually came back into the game and drew three three. We should have actually won it, mm. but 
we played away at Norwich and Paul Lambert was the manager and he must have said to every player, every time Ian Hart gets in the ball, nail him. So you know the way that it's quite tight in Norwich and you have the, the kind of, the, it looks like a wall or whatever beside where the fans are. Fans mm. were giving me pelters as well. <laughs> I just touched the ball near the, near the dugouts and someone came in and literally lifted me out of it. But it went, <laughs> on, it went on for the whole game. So it was there, probably a bit of payback. But um, yeah, I remember mm. that one well. Ian, I'm, I'm conscious of time now and you've been very generous to us. Um, we haven't actually mentioned Ireland at all, but there is one question I, w- I would like to ask you about Ireland. Is it true that Giovanni Trapattoni didn't even realise that you were Irish and available to play when you were at a, in fine form for Reading? Uh, yes, he didn't have a clue I was Irish. So, um, <laughs> how, can, how can that happen? I know. Well, bonkers. If you ask me, yeah, it was probably the best football that I was I was ever playing at Reading. I was doing so well, I was scoring goals, and um, he didn't actually know I was Irish. So it's I can't answer it. The only one who can answer it is him. But uh, very very strange, if I'm being honest. How did you find out that, that Shane was the Long? Case? Shane Long told me. He said because obviously he was in the Reading team and he was getting yeah. called up, and he says, "I said Shane, I actually said to Shane, mention to the manager about me." He went, he did. So he went over and he went, oh, Ian Hart of Reading has said, like, he went, I don't, I don't even know he's Irish. That's what he said. I was like, you're joking. 60-odd caps, World Cup appearances, and he doesn't even know. That's unbelievable. For the modern game, that's quite disgraceful, really, isn't it? Yeah, that is. But so be it. That's, mm. the, that's the way it goes, yeah. You move on. You played for, over such a long period of time with Ireland, and a lot of the players... Um, that you played with, the likes of Robbie Keane, Shea Given, Duff, Dunn, O'Shea, Kilbane, they've all topped 100 caps. Did, did it at times feel like they were more sort of your club mates than actually your club mates? Um, not really, no. Because, you know, Robbie, he actually came, you know, he was on trial at Leeds when he was a young lad and they could have signed him. And he's, I don't know who it was that decided, but they said he was too small and he wasn't going to be good enough. Now, four years later, Leeds bought him for twelve million from Inter oh, Milan. Yeah, um, yeah. With every Irish team, you've got a great togetherness within the group. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, of course they're all Shay. I love Shay the bits as well. Brilliant guys. Um, but personally, I, I think that the current Irish group should be doing better than probably what they are. Mm. Um, and hopefully, hopefully results will pick up soon. Mm-hmm. Final bit on Ireland. I asked, um, I was chatting to Liam Daish on Twitter, and I said that I was we were going to be interviewing Ian Hart, and he said he was so young when he came into the squad. What a good player he was! Wand of a left foot. So it's not just your family that are saying it. No, it's it's, it's nice when when people recognise or whatever. It's um, but unfortunately, as a, every player's career, it it comes to an end. So you know. It's, People have said, oh, would you write a book? You know, it's got so many memories or stories or whatever. But um, no, nah, it's, you know, it's all logged in the memory and I've enjoyed it. Every little bit of it. There's not one day I miss football now because um, I pretty much achieved everything that I wanted to, to do. You know, two promotions, one at Reading, uh, one Bournemouth into the, into the Premier League, you know, getting... 
a few medals for team of the season. So, um, yeah, all in all, it's a, a decent career. Ian, final question. We are searching for shinies. We want, we ask every player who comes on our podcast, who is your shiny player, the best player you played with or against? Uh, the best player I've played with, I would probably have to say, between two, it's probably Roy Keane in the Ireland team mm. or Harry Kiel in the Leeds team. Nice. Yeah. You have to pick one. Pardon? I have to pick one? <laughs> right, okay. Um, it's your best mate, and yeah, you, you, you said Kuehl was your best mate, and Roy Keane, obviously legend, so tough choice. Yeah. Good players. Yeah, so, well, if I have to pick one, then um, it's close, but I'll pick Harry. Wow. Fair play. Mm, he, was he was class. Top he, in the 90s. he was, oh, he was class. Yeah. yeah, Harry, on, on his day, he was, he was unstoppable. He was so quick. Um, frightened defenders, but it didn't hurt. You know, his, his left foot as well was amazing. Mm. I remember a goal he scored against Arsenal, I think, where he just pinged it from nowhere, zipped straight past the keeper. I know, but no, I appreciate you having me on tonight. Thanks very much. Oh, it's been our pleasure. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, definitely. Wow, Ian Hart, what a career, what an interview, some amazing threads in, in his journey there, isn't it? I mean, some actually quite serious stuff there. The Galatasaray mm. trip, a plane catching fire, then Champions League nights and, uh, you know, his wilderness years, if you like, going to Spain and then having to come back and build his career back up from League One Championship, making it back into the Premier League and mm. having a gold McDonald's card as well. What a topsy, <laughs> topsy-turvy career for, for Hardy. Um, it's funny that we mentioned the McDonald's card. I'm glad... Uh, he remembered that because McDonald's have a huge presence throughout the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book, as we've kind of naturally discovered. We noticed on every single page there is, um, it, it tells fans the nearest McDonald's to their stadium. So, Richie, after a, a frantic game at the Riverside Stadium, you and the family were, were probably going to hot foot it down to 95 Linthorpe Road, Middlesbrough, TS1 5AD. <laughs> that was your nearest McDonald's. Meanwhile, after watching the entertainers, I was uh, worked up an appetite and headed straight to eighty five ninety three Granger Street in the centre of town for a, a happy meal. Um, so yeah, McDonald's clearly big sponsors of the Premier League in the mid nineties. Mm. Yes, they were, and and um, just to put you right there, um, we were running for the train actually, not back to McDonald's. I'll have you know, but nonetheless, I you say that we've noticed the sponsorship. I've been looking at this book now for months, and I don't think I've ever noticed McDonald's stuff on the pages before until Ian mentioned it. Um, so yeah, they're everywhere, and actually, in the mid, the very, the, like the centre middle spread, whatever you call it, centrefold of the book, is a page entitled McDonald's Feast of Football, and there is a quiz put forward by McDonald's. Mm. Five questions off the back of your United Six, which I would like to put to you now, sir. Tasty. So, strap in. You ready? Let's go. Question number one. In 1996, McDonald's was the official restaurant of Euro 96. Which country's fans won the best award for supporters? Oh, God. Scotland? No, Holland. Oh, I was going to say Holland. Not quite sure how that's relevant to McDonald's, but okay. Question number two. In 1995, McDonald's opened its first restaurant in South Africa. Which player was bought by Liverpool in that year for 4.5 million? It's a strenuous link. I think it's I think it's someone we've approached for the show. Jason you are correct. Mattia? That is correct, sir. Very good. You've obviously got the sticker open in front of you. 
Um, question number three. 57.9 million people are served worldwide by McDonald's each day. How many times would this... F- 723. Um, correct. <laughs> correct. That's assuming it's one per seat. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I've jumped, I've jumped in there. Yeah, you, you finish the question. You're out of order. You're out of order. <laughs> um, in 1918, McDonald's opened its first restaurant in a European hospital at Guy's London. Flipping egg. Which club were runners-up to Manchester United in the Carling Premiership at the end of that season? Which I promise I haven't looked at the answer for this one. What what year? What season? 95, 96? Nope. Listen up, cloth ears. 92. Oh, God. 92, Man United, runners-up, Villa? Yes, they were. Come on! It's a wonderful sticker of Steve Staunton wearing what appears to be the first ever football boot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so village, but anyway... Um, and we'll finally, on, yeah, we'll put that on Twitter so you can have a, yes, we, have a look. Yes, let's at that. do that. Finally, I don't have the sticker for this one. There are stickers, of course, for each of these questions, and something I'll allude to afterwards. Um, the first McDonald's at sea opened aboard the world's largest ferry, sailing between Stockholm and Helsinki. Which was the first Premier League club to have a McDonald's restaurant? How is that relevant to the sea question? I don't know. Who's the first club to have a McDonald's restaurant? Oh, uh, what, in their stadium? By the sounds of it, yeah. Uh, hang on. Oh. Yeah. Have them, yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks like it. It wasn't. Was it Newcastle? No. They had the family enclosure was sponsored by McDonald's. No, they're all Greggs, as you should well know. It was Liverpool. Oh. Yeah. So what's interesting? So there's a, for each of these quiz questions, there's a sticker, and on the back of those stickers, there was a voucher for oh. a free Coca-Cola or a free regular fries. Oh, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, only one per customer, though. You can't just, you know, take the mick. That's fair enough. Yeah. That's fair the enough. temptation would have been, though, if you've got swaps of those stickers, just to peel off the sticker, stick it anywhere, and take in the back of the sticker to the store. Yeah. That's I, what an enterprising Richard Wyatt would have done. I think, I think so. I think so. But um, there we are, folks. There's your McDonald's Feast of Football quiz. Yes. Thank you for that. On with the search, then. Do you know a player from the 1997 sticker book? We want to be connected with them. If you connect us with a player, I will honestly, I will send you one of these Tim Breaker stickers from 1997. <laughs> it could be worth $5.2 million. Or McDonald's, McDonald's voucher, maybe? Who knows? Uh, have you ever met a player from the 97 sticker book? We want to hear stories of anyone you might have met, no matter how mundane, where you were, what, were they, what they were wearing, what they said to you. Bonus points if it's a Borough or Newcastle player. Contact us via the website, searchingforshinies.com, or contact us via social media. We are at the Shiny Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please follow us, particularly on Instagram and Facebook, where our numbers are pathetic. Um, we've uh, uploaded some episodes of YouTube, if that's your thing, have a look. And please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And if you've got a minute, please give us a five-star rating mm-hmm. on iTunes. Write us a Shiny Review. It really, really helps us out. Yes, please. So that would be great. Thanks for listening. And remember... Keep it shiny. Keep it shiny. Get in there. <laughs> Get in there. <laughs> Hi Ian, how are you okay. doing? How are you keeping Richie okay? I'm very well, thank you, buddy. Are you are you Ian or Hearty for the sake of the interview? E. Hearty. E. H A R T E. No. <laughs> I'm asking what, what do you want to be called throughout the interview? Ian or Oh right. I, whatever, I don't mind. <laughs>